Come on. Let me just share with you a few thoughts from, uh, from the word this morning. I know we're running a little bit, a little bit late, but bear with me. I want to I move through. I love these, when these worship services run long, it really forces me to try to condense really what God is saying down to a more manageable time. I'm thankful for that, you know. Um, it's, it's the Lord's way of saying, easily, say what you want to say. You know, don't, 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 don't run along with it. So, um, I wasn't talking to you, Megan, no. Let's go to the, to the book of, of, of Micah. Micah is um, sort of two-thirds of the way through your Bible. In the Old Testament, it comes after the big prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Um, he kind of comes after, um, after Jonah and before the book of Nahum. It's a very small book, just a few chapters. Um, in, in, in reading and studying this year, I, I feel like I'm looking at it through, a, through God's Word through a different lens. I'm looking at it through an end times lens. I have not ever been one to dwell a lot on what's happening in the end times. The, the technical word for that is eschatology. It's a study of the end times. And I've, in, in all of my studying, I've never dwelt a whole lot on that. Um, I think we can kind of really get absorbed with all of those things. We can have all the charts and all the stuff. And I've, I've never really done that. But in, in this year especially, I feel like the Lord is saying it's time to start viewing today through this, this lens of what God's Word says about the last days. And Jesus had a lot of things to say about it too. So we're especially coming into Christmas, thinking about the coming, the first coming. You know, there's going to be two, two advents of Jesus, right? Advent means coming, arrival. There was one arrival that we're celebrating next, next Friday. There's going to be a second arrival, a second advent, a second coming um, when Jesus comes back again in a bodily form, not this time as a baby, but this time as the risen reigning king with fire in his eyes and a sword in his hand coming to judge the world and to redeem the world and to establish his kingdom on earth. We believe that is an actual, literal, historical event that will happen, I believe, very soon. I don't know when, but I believe it will be soon. If not in my generation, I believe in my children's generation. I think the, the signs of the time, so to speak, are very clear. Um, but Micah, Micah has something. All the prophets, the, the, by the way, all the prophets are, they're, it's like when, when they're prophesying in the Holy Spirit, they're, they're speaking to two different kind of audiences. They're speaking to their, their current audience, whatever's going on in, in Jerusalem or Israel in the time, whatever they're ministering, you know, 700 AD or B.C., you know, whatever that is. But they're also, there's also this deeper level where they're speaking to us and to the final end times. So I want to read a little bit of this from Micah chapter, uh, chapter 4. Um, he talks about that. In fact, the first four words of Micah 4 are, in the last days, <laughs> right? So we know that whatever we're about to read is going to be applying to us because we're in the last days. It says this, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will, and by the way, Micah is prophesying to Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, this mountain, God's sort of, his people and, and the temple are on this mountain. Micah is, is prophesying to them. He's saying to them that Jerusalem very shortly will be destroyed by, the, uh, by, by, the, by, by Babylon. 
He's prophesying because of their unfaithfulness, judgment is going to come, the city's going to be burned, the temple's going to be destroyed. Isaiah or uh, Micah, a number of them are all prophesying this. But then he says this in the last days, the mountain's going to be established. In other words, something is going to happen and bring the glory of Jerusalem back. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. That's a beautiful thing to think about, you know. God, God is going to show us how do we live in, 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 in harmony with him. How do we do what he wants us to do? You guys ever find that the Christian life is such a struggle? It's difficult. It's difficult to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm the only one. The <laughs> Bible says that in, the, in that time, we're going, to go up to the, we're going to be in the presence of God, in the mountain of God, in the temple of the God. He's going to teach us his ways. God's going to show us how to do this, whatever this, this looks like, so we may walk in his paths. Skip on a little bit. Um, verse 4, all the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So he's prophesying this day that's coming when there will be peace, when there will be shalom, when God will restore his people, when he will teach his people how to be faithful. And they've never been faithful before. They've tried time and time and time again. Yeah, God, we want to follow you. But the next thing you know, they're going after other gods. They're setting up altars. They're worshiping false gods. And this prophet is saying the time is going to come when that's not going to be the case. When you're going to learn to love God with your whole heart, he's going to show you how to do it. And the war of judgment will be gone and there will be peace in the land again. Chapter 5, or, or, or verse 6, In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant. I love thinking about that. It reminds me of Matthew 5, and Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's who God is calling in. He's calling in those of us that are spiritually broken, those that are just messed up, those that have tried, and we just don't seem to fit in. We can't seem to do it. God says, that's the ones that are going to be my people. I'm going to call them in. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. I want you to pay attention to verse 8. And then later on, a few more chapters. I want to read this to you here. Because this comes out of nowhere, right? Verse 8 is kind of out of nowhere. And it's like this little tiny diamond hidden in the midst of this prophecy. You're going to say, wait a minute, what? Verse 8 says this. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. And I say, wait, okay, wait, what? As for you, watchtower, y'all say watchtower. I want to teach you some Hebrew this morning. Say migdal. There you go, you're speaking Hebrew. Say adar. There you go, you know two Hebrew words. Watchtower of the flock or tower of the flock. That's a literal, those are literal words, right? He says, as for you, tower of the flock stronghold of daughter Zion. In other words, the stronghold of Jerusalem, the daughter Zion is this place. As for you, the former dominion, the glory of God, the power that rested there is going to be restored to you. Kingship is going to come out of you back to Jerusalem. Fast forward a little bit more. We get to verse 5. We're going to get into some what we call messianic prophecies. These are things that the, the Old Testament is prophesying about the coming of Jesus. Verse 5. 
Look at verse 2. But uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 2. That's right. Too many numbers. This is going to sound familiar. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. And guess who that is? Come on. The church has always understood this one verse to be a messianic prophecy written 700 years before the birth of Christ. And Micah, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is writing this out. He's hearing what God's saying, and he begins to write down these words, and he begins to get a sense in his mind that something about this tiny place called Bethlehem is going to be significant in the days to come. And he writes down, out of you, though you're small, Bethlehem, though you're a tiny little village, just a stone's throw from Jerusalem, something significant out of you is going to come one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from of old from ancient times. Jesus. And he goes on to say this, verse 4, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Come on, y'all, God's up to something. He's been putting a plan in motion from the very beginning. And in the midst of when, when Jerusalem is about to fall to, 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 the, to, the, to the nations in 700-something B.C., God is saying, the time is going to come. The time is going to come when I'm going to restore the kingdom. And it's begin again. It's going to begin in a small way. You, tower of the flock, it's going to come out of you. You, Bethlehem, though you're the smallest, out of you is going to come a ruler. And he plants that seed, and he waters that seed for 700 years. We know a little bit also about Migdal Ader, the watchtower of the flock from Genesis chapter 35. What's my time? I got a few more minutes. Genesis 35. If you know the story of the patriarchs, you'll know that Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, he loved Rachel, his wife. And in chapter 35, it describes the death of Rachel, his beloved wife. Rachel has borne to him 12 sons who would go on to become the 12 tribes of Jacob. And she gave birth to a favorite son, Benjamin. This tells the story. While they were still some distance from Aphrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't despair for you have another son. And she breathed her last. As she breathed her last, she named her son Ben-Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. 
Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Ader, the tower of the flock. So Bethlehem is a small, it's a small village just a mile or so outside of Jerusalem. And it always had significance to the people of Israel for several reasons. One of them was it was the burial place of Rachel, this mother of the faith. And several generations later, it would be the birthplace of this young boy who was a shepherd who would go on to become the king, the greatest king that the nation of Israel had ever known, David. He would be born in this little tiny town called Bethlehem, just a stone's throw outside of Jerusalem. So the people of God have always known there's, you know, it's small, but it's meaningful. And the ones who really pay attention to God's word knew that there was something messianic about this small town because the prophets, Micah, had prophesied it. And they didn't know what that meant, but they knew there was something unusual about it. But let's jump here to to Luke chapter 2. And Luke is telling us the story of the birth of this Christ Jesus. And he gives some historical context. He talks about Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the Roman Empire, giving a decree about, uh, about census and doing an account of all the people. And everybody has to go to their own town. Joseph and Mary, of course, were from up in Galilee in the north, in the small town of Nazareth. But Jacob's family, historically, was from the line of David. So he had to return to his homestead. It's like if, I were, if, if the same thing happened today, I would have to return to, to southeast Oklahoma because that's where the Easley clan historically has been from. That's where my father was born. That's where my grandfather was. That's back and back and back. So I would need to go to that county, to, to War Eagle, Texas, or wherever it is, and I would have to register and say, okay, Brad Easley is here. Here's my family. The same thing is happening. David is having to, or, 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 or Joseph is having to go back with his family to, to register to this town of Bethlehem. Maybe they've been there before. I'm sure this has happened several times in his life already, having to go back to that place. And he tells the story. You know the story. You're familiar with it. But I want to look at this, this account beginning in verse 8. And it says this, there were shepherds living out into the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. These likely would have been not just ordinary shepherds. We know historically that Bethlehem was uh, known in that region for uh, its sheep industry, for raising sheep. Um, That had been the case many times. And especially its proximity to Jerusalem would have been prime because we know that several times in the year during the festivals, um, the, the, the need for lambs for sacrifice would have been great. And what a profitable industry this would have been to have this flock right out here a good mile or so from the city. So these shepherds, they're likely were, were ones who were just sort of trained with a special eye They possibly were even Levitical shepherds, one who had some degree of understanding of the sacrificial system about what's needed, what kind of lambs are acceptable. How do we we make sure that the ones that we're bringing to the priest at the temple are, 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 are fitting the word of the law? They would be used to this. They would be used to calling out some that don't really look good, and others say, that's a perfect lamb. This is the firstborn. This is set aside right here for sacrifice. They would have been very familiar with this. 
And they're out, and in this story, they're out in the fields. They're watching over their flocks by night. They're watching over them. And it's very possible that they are in this vicinity, the same vicinity of what we just read in Genesis 35. They're in the vicinity of, it's very possible, they're in the vicinity of Migdal Eder. Possibly there's several Migdal Eders, towers made out of stone where shepherds could come and observe and see, not just down here, you know, a few acres. They could stand up and they could look out maybe for several miles to see, you know, are, are, are there any wolves or are there any predators or any thieves? Where are my sheep? Where, am I, where are my lambs? Where is everyone? They would be able to watch over all of their flocks. The Bible says that at this moment, they are there doing their thing, Right? And some scholars say that the Migdal Eder also would, 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 to some degree, might have also been a sheltering place for the delivery of, of, of newborn lambs. We've got some goats at home. We don't, have, we don't have sheep. We have goats. And two of them just delivered in the last two weeks. Little baby kids, two little dolings. We weren't there for the birth. We, we were there for the first one several years ago, right? You were there. Oh, Meg was here for this? You were there for this? Okay. You know, so like, we've got a nice stall set up. You know, we've got like, you know, overhead and it's got some stuff there and water and all that stuff. And ideally, if, if we're there, we'll bring mama in and put her on bed of hay and help usher this new baby life into the world. And, this, and, and these shepherds possibly would have done the same thing, especially if it was a difficult labor for um, a ewe. Let's bring her in. Let's bring her out of the elements. Let's find, you know, underneath the, the shadow of this tower, Migdal Eder, let's bring her in and help her deliver this. There have been sort of feeding stations and things to wrap up uh, the newborn baby in. So here's a con- verse 9 then. The, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. There's two things that happen here. They're gonna have, first of all, they're going to have an encounter and they're going to have a response. And that's, that's my big point this morning. Encounter and response. A fearful encounter, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to drive us to a response. So here's the encounter. I'm just going to miss this. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and what? Glory the, the glory of the Lord shone around them. There are four angelic visitations in the Christmas story. This is the fourth one of those. The other three aren't like this. The other three, it's just a single angel showing up, right? I don't want you to miss this. There's one angel who shows up to Mary, one angel who shows up to Zechariah, one angel who shows up to Joseph. But this time, it's not just the angel. It is the Shekinah glory of the Lord who explodes into the sky all around them. I want you to think about how powerful that is. One angel is enough. I've never, I've never seen an angel, right? But the other, jo- Joseph and Mary and Zechariah, they see an angel and they're terrified. These guys, not only do they see an angel, they see the glory of the Lord shining around them. Just imagine this. Imagine being in the presence of the sun, S-U-N, and it's so intense and it's so bright that it's searing your retinas, even though your eyes are closed. I am betting that's exactly how it was. I'm betting this is a brightness like nothing they've ever seen in their lives. And the Bible says that they were terrified. I bet they were. I bet they're crawling on the ground, running away, trying to figure out where do we go? What in the world is happening? It's like, it's like a supernova is exploding in the sky in front of us and we don't know what to do. We are about to die. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. That's what he said to Joseph, what he said to Mary, what he said to Zechariah. Anytime we encounter God, really encounter God, there's this degree of fear. What in the world have we gotten ourselves into? We pray for the presence. Do we really want it? Come on. What's it going to be like when the presence of God is so strong here that we're almost afraid to come in on Sunday morning? 
What's going to be like when people come to the door and their hands are shaking because they're not sure what's going to happen when they walk in? That's what the presence of God really is like. God holds himself back. God restrains it. God just lets a little bit of his glory break through because he knows that if he opens all of it, it's going to destroy us. But the angel says to him, don't be afraid to bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. He says, fellas, it's okay. Don't be afraid. Listen, listen, guys. I've got some really good news. I've got some good news that's going to change the world. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He has been born to you. Listen to this. He's been born to, who's he speaking to? Shepherds. Shepherds. Priestly shepherds. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Listen to this. He will be a sign to you. This will be a sign to you. I love it when the Bible is clear about what signs are, right? I'm very obtuse. So I like it when when the Bible says, okay, here's what you're going to see easily. Here's what you're going to look for. If I'm a shepherd, I'm like writing it down. Okay, sign to me. What what am I looking for? It says two things. You're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, the first time I read that, I'm thinking, that's so weird. Like, how is that a sign? And what's weirder, oh, and then, okay, so not only this one angel in the glory, now a whole company, thousands of these angels all show up and they begin singing. And of course, it's like this incredible thing. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds peeled themselves up off of the ground. This is my translation. I can make it up. Scraped themselves up off of the ground, found the courage to talk, and said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph, who was lying in the manger. Now here's what I'm betting. It's just a bet. I could be wrong on this. I'm not going to build my faith on what I'm about to say, but it makes sense to me, and I like it. Is it okay? And I don't want to put things into the Christmas story that aren't there. For example, Mary and Joseph rode what on their way to Bethlehem? A donkey. Guess what? The Bible never says that. How many kings came from the east? The Bible doesn't say that either. (laughs) I don't want to put things in here that aren't meant to be here, but this makes sense to me. Because when it says, here's the sign that you're looking for, is it possible that that sign was something that they knew exactly what it would mean? As if the angel was saying, go and look for a newborn lamb. Just like the lambs that you bring into your tower. The ones that you wrap up in cloths to protect their little limbs as they're new in the world. The little lambs that you put in this trough with hay until their feet are strong. Shepherds, you know the one I'm talking about? And the shepherd's like, yeah, we know that. The angel says, go find a lamb. And they go. And my gut is they know exactly where to go. I'm betting they don't go door to door knocking. Uh, Is there a baby here wrapped in swaddling cloths? 
Got a manger nearby? I'm betting they don't do that. What I'm betting is they have a sense by the Holy Spirit exactly where they're going to find this baby. And they go and they see this sign. And it begins to click in their mind what in the world has happened all this time. We've been raising lambs for sacrifice. We've been looking for the perfect Lamb of God to send to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, we are witnesses to the birth of the final perfect sacrificial Lamb. Is it possible that God says, I want you fellas to be there too? Because you've been faithfully tending all of these years, and now you get to see the one who will end it all. Y'all, I'm excited about this. Come on. Verse seven, 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word. That's next week's sermon. When they had seen him, they spread the word. Y'all getting that? When we see him, we are going to spread the word. When we encounter Jesus, when we encounter the glory of God, it's going to cause something in us to explode and we are unstoppable. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. I'm eager for Christmas to become a place of holy fear again. Because it's all over the story. I want my own encounter with the Lord to have this vein of holy fear that runs through it. Where I encounter the glory of God in such a way where I'm just different. You with me? What in the world is God doing? Come on. He's been at work from day one. He is exploding on the scene in such small ways. And that sacrificial lamb is going to come back as the reigning king. That's a real thing. It's really going to happen. Come on, stand up. I want to pray over us. I want to pray over us. I want to pray. I want to pray God's And I want to pray fresh encounters over you this Christmas season. I want to pray fresh encounters. Worship band, come on up. We're going to to do one more here at the end. Let's do goodness of God. You guys had that ready. Let's do that. I want to pray fresh encounters over you. Encounters that lead to transformation. Here's the other cool thing about that story. God shows up. Sometimes he shows up to people that just simply aren't looking for him, doing their thing. That's grace. God has grace for you. You may not even be seeking after him a lot, but he's looking for you and he's coming your way. And he's changing circumstances and he's shifting things in your life to get more and more of your heart. He's not going to be satisfied until he has all of it. He wants all of it. He does. And here's the crazy thing, is that you, your heart, 
was made to belong to him. Our hearts were made for thee, says Augustine. We are not at rest until we find ourselves in you. We're not at rest until we find ourselves in him, Lord Jesus. Fathers, pray for a fresh revelation of your son to us this morning, Lord. Fresh revelation, Father, of your son Jesus to us. Fresh encounters, Lord. We pray for holy fear to grip our hearts. To get our attention, Lord. To grab our affections. Bring us to a place where we say, let's go and see the one. Let's go and see the one. Father, bring me to that place. Bring us to that place where we are about one holy pursuit. Jesus. All right, church, let's sing this here and then we'll be dismissed.